great today. We're going to be looking at that today, speaking to you about a worthy lamb, a redeemer who is able to take all of our sin and all of our shame. And the only reason he was able to do it is he was worthy. He checked off all the boxes. He met all the requirements. Worthy is the lamb this morning. Let's talk to him. Father, how wonderful it is, Lord, to step into your presence. Lord, even to listen as the song service would go on away, Lord, that would Lord, give us confidence to know that we found the mind of God for this service. Lord, and I ask that you'll just take complete control, speak to every heart. Lord, may every doubt and every fear and every unbelief be driven out, Lord, by the word today, Lord. Lord, as we recognize, Lord, there is nothing that can stand before us, Lord. Called and chosen, Lord, and dipped in the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, every sin, every, every claim, everything that was ever against us has been struck off. And today we thank you for that, Lord. As we look into the word, may you anoint it, Lord. May you quicken it to hearts and lives. Quicken it to hearts that would struggle, Lord, and wonder, Lord, about their own worthiness. And may they recognize today they're not worthy. We're not worthy, but Lord, you are. There was no fault found in you. And because of that, today we stand redeemed by the blood of the worthy lamb. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray you'll bless this service now, Lord. Be with Brother Joe, Lord, as he ministers this morning, be with Brother Tim and Brother Timothy as they travel home. Lord, those that are out, Lord, just have your hand upon them. Lord, and bless this service now, Lord, with your presence and your anointing. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, the 10th chapter. We're going to read verses 1 through 18. It says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the thing, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore when he cometh into the world he saith sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. 
from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their heart and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Amen. I pray the Lord will bless his word as you have your seats today. Wonderful words of life that we've read here. Recognizing that the sin question was dealt with once and for all. By, by one sacrifice are we all made perfect. And we're going to be going through this and speaking on these scriptures today. What Hebrews here is talking about. Obviously, it seems, seems simple is the, is the sacrifice that Jesus has made that has broke the curse of sin on our lives once and for all. And, and it's referencing the sacrifices that have been made ritually down through the Old Testament ever since the fall. And it's making it clear that those sacrifices had no power to redeem. There was no redeeming power in the blood of bulls and goats. And, and it had no power to take away sin. But this sacrifice of Jesus Christ has perfected us forever. Amen. The, the blood has settled the issue of sin once and for all. And, and we're going to look today at the need for this blood. And if I would title it, I would say today, perfect blood, loosed and empowered. Perfect blood, loosed and empowered. And we may go through, slow through some of this and maybe um, in some very elementary things. But I just want to drive this home today. That the sacrifices down through time since the fall had only been a temporary institution. God never intended for them to be something that would continue on forever and ever and ever. Uh, for, for one thing... He didn't want them to continue on because they were completely insufficient in value to pay the price for humanity. They, they were in some ways, their, their value was so ins, insufficient that God only looked at it as a, as a placeholder, as something to be there in the place of. And because the human race had fallen, God had placed man on the earth in Eden and, and man was given rule and and what I want to show here is the, the significance of the debt, the significance of what was owed. Man, man was given dominion over the earth and the creatures of the earth. Man was the God of the earth. The earth was God's work. He had created it. He had invested himself in it. He had thought about each and every detail. It, it was something God had spent time on. He loved this creation. He had thought about it from every angle and, and he loved it. Not only man was God's handiwork, but all the creation was God's handiwork. The earth was God's work and he would come down in the cool of the evening and he would enjoy the company of man and he would enjoy his creation. It was something that he loved and God looked over everything that he had made and he said, it's good. If God calls something good, and by his standards, it's something good. Then it was good. Amen. He had spent all this time making it good. And then he turns and he entrusts it to man. 
He puts it in the hand of man, the thing that he loves and his workmanship. And, and he says, you rule over it. You subdue it. You take communion. Dominion. I trust you with my creation. Think about how awful the fall was. We always look at it just in terms of man as we should because we are man. But everything fell. The trust fell. The relationship fell. Man took all that God had made and he took all that God had done. The, the workmanship of his hand. The gentleness of the lion. The harmony of nature. The bliss of eternal life. The perfect communion between God and man. And threw it all away. And they didn't do this in ignorance. It wasn't an accident like, oh God, I'm so sorry, I didn't know. Man did this in direct disobedience to the word of God. Because in Genesis 2.17, it had told them, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. It's written in pretty plain English. It was spoken there. There was nothing to debate. There was nothing to wonder. There was nothing of, of, of a gray area. They knew if we do this, we're throwing it all away. If we do this, we're allowing death to come in. And in that moment, Eve made a decision to do this. Knowing and then, and then Adam also taking her unto himself makes the same decision. I'm throwing all of this away. Think of the debt that man owed God. Think about what he threw away here and now sin would rule. Because not just man fell, everything fell. The lamb could no longer lay down with the lion. There was death and sin nature and, and death ruled. And, and, and sin nature not only now would manifest in the human race, but the cruelty of nature itself would now be on full display throughout the world. And there was a penalty to be paid. There was a debt that was owed. Because as I said, man had not only sold himself, but all of creation into slavery. And now Satan had rights on man. Satan had rights on creation. Satan had a claim on them. And because of this, because Satan now owned man, sin and death were now the taskmasters that would rule over the earth. And as we read in the word, the law required death. Think of the burden of this debt. Because the law required death, nothing Adam could do would ever pay it off. Nothing he could do to work it off. Think about this morning. There's nothing you can do to repay God for what he's done for you. There's nothing you can do. It's not in the works you can do. It's just in the mercy and grace of Almighty God. We can lay our souls and say, Lord, I'll give you my life. I know it's unworthy. I know it's not enough. But Lord, it's all I have to give. At least give him all that you have to give. Adam could never pay this off because death was the sentence. But what we find right here early on is that one of the attributes of God is love. One of his attributes is love and God is love. And yet he also has to be just. And the penalty was death. So he couldn't just say, you know, I forgive you. Let's move on. He is a just God and the law required death. But love stepped in to make a way. 
There had to be something that died. The law said you have to die. The law said in the day you eat thereof, that day you die. And yet love said, I want to make a way, but something has to die. And the law says something has to die. But mercy says, I want to make a way. And God's torn there. I'm so thankful that in my life, when I went astray into sin, into death, the law required that I had to die. But he said, I want to make a way. I want to make a way back. And in this moment, even though the law required death, love stepped in to make a way. Mercy stepped in and grace stepped in. When you should have died, mercy stepped in. When you should have gone to hell, grace stepped in. When you were lost and without hope, God couldn't stand the thought of being separated forever from his children. He couldn't stand the thought of not having the fellowship with his children He had created them for this purpose. He didn't want to be alone. He didn't want to be by himself. And now he's sitting there looking at this. There they go. I'm going to be alone again. He wanted to be loved and he wanted to be worshipped. And we find out right here in this moment that we serve a very determined God. He is not going to give up on the plans that he has. He's not going to throw it away and walk away and move on to something else. I'm so thankful for that today. He's not going to throw you away. He's not going to move on to another person. He's not going to move on from this bride. He created you for a purpose. You are to be the bride of Jesus Christ. And if he called you to that, then he's not going to throw you away. But he's going to see that you fulfill the purpose that he created you for. Though you stumble, though you fall, though you go astray, I'm not giving up on her. I'm not giving up on them. I created them for a purpose. When others give up on you, he won't. When others turn their back on you, he won't. Because he's determined that I'm going to have a bride. We have to get our eyes today off of our failures. Get our eyes today off of our shortcomings and get them back onto the sacrifice that took the place of your shortcomings. Get them back on the sacrifice that took the place of every one of your sins, every one of your trespasses. And the blood of Calvary cries out to you this morning, no matter where you're at, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not turning my back on you. I'm not going to leave you where you're at this morning. Brother Aaron, I've been struggling. I I don't know what to turn. I feel like I'm failing. I feel like I'm failing. I'm not giving up on you. I have made a way. But the blood said something had to die. The law said something had to die. It required blood. And so he took a lamb and he kills it in their place. And it allowed them to live for another day. It allowed them to live for a space of time, although now sin and death ruled in these mortal bodies. Brother Brown says, God, he covered all space and all time, bottled down to four little letters. L-O-V-E. Love. He could not stand to see his child depart from him. You know, and the thought just comes to me as, as we speak on love is that's the thing that the devil can't understand. That's the thing he'll never understand. That may be the thing that you'll never understand about me and the way I deal with my children. And I may never understand about you and the way you deal with your children because you have a love for them that I can't understand. And I have a love for my children that you might not can understand. And in that moment, Satan says, I got them. 
It's destroyed. It's finished. They're mine forever. Oh, he looked at you that way and he said, I got them. I got them in the clutches of sin. They'll never be redeemed. They'll never be restored. I got them in my pawn shop. They've turned their back on God. They've walked away from his word. They've walked away from his promises. They're full of nothing but unbelief, full of nothing but doubt, full of nothing but fear, but L-O-V-E. He says, I got them, but God says, no, I love them. They're mine. I won't walk away. I won't leave them in your pawn shop. The devil goes, I don't understand. They transgress your law. He says, but I love them. He says, I can hear him say, wait just a minute, Adam. I will put enmity between the woman's seed and the serpent seed. Her heel shall bruise his head and his head shall bruise her heel. Promising a savior. Notice right here, it didn't have anything to do with man. It didn't say, no, Adam, here's what you're going to have to do. I'm going to work it out to where you move like this. And he said, I will put enmity. He takes the covenant upon himself. He takes it upon himself to be the redeemer. Amen. He says, I will. I'm going to come. I'm going to put enmity. Listen, just hold on to that this morning. He said, I will come. He said, I will heal you. He said, I will deliver you. Not you have to do this and you have to do that. And if you're good enough, I will. He said, I will come. And he came. He said, I'm going to come back. And I'm telling you, he's on his way. If he said it, just hold on to it this morning. Just be ready to receive it. Just put your trust in it. Blood was required and. And so began the killing of millions of innocent animals as down through time, their blood was offered up every year by every individual as a sacrifice for sin. And yet no matter how many lambs they killed, no matter how many bulls or how many sheep, it could never do away with sin. No matter what they did, sin and death still ruled. Brother Branham says, now the only thing that the law did... They know that an innocent substitute had to die for the guilty. That's us. We're the guilty. That law began back in the Garden of Eden. And now they would offer a sheep or a bullock or something and kill it. Throw the blood out on the altar and so forth. Because it was a covering or a substitutionary offering. But it could never take away sin. Because there's not strength enough. Now listen to this. There's not strength enough in an animal's life to atone for a human life because greater is the human life than animal life. And we began to recognize that the, that, that, that the sacrifice had to be of a certain value. The animal life wasn't valuable enough. This is scripture. It tells us in Matthew 12, 12. How much then is a man better than a sheep? There is a greater value. So, so no sheep could ever pay the price of a lost man, much less all of humanity. All of mankind. As a matter of fact, you could kill all the sheep and it wouldn't equal one man. And so the value doesn't add up. The life in no way could, could, could in any way repair the injury that was done by man. It in no way could pay the debt. In no way could it settle the issue of sin because it was only a shadow of things to come. 
And the apostle here in Hebrews 10 begins to put the Levitical law in its place. And, and, and what he's saying here is even though these sacrifices had been done by divine appointment, even though it had been the plan of God, even though it had been the program of God, they were only designed to cover sin until the true lamb of God came to take away the sin of the world. I'm so grateful today that my sins aren't just covered up. I'm so grateful today that they're not still there and there's just a thin layer of paint on top of them. But when he came, he took away the sins of the world. He did away with it. He dropped it in his bleach. And my sins went all the way back to their accuser. And Brother Branham says they hit the devil square on the head. He bears my sins this morning. Are you guilty today? No, sir, he's guilty. I am righteous. I am forgiven. I am called. I think it not robbery to be equal with God. Because his blood has sanctified me. His blood has purified me. I'm no longer guilty. I'm justified. But there is a guilty one. Every sin I committed lies squarely on the head of the accuser this morning. These shadows were supposed to point people to Jesus. The point of it was to point people to Jesus. But what happened is the Jews fell in love with the shadow. They fell in love with the shadow. And when the substance of the shadow was sacrificed, they still wanted the shadow. The substance was there, but they loved the shadow. They had fell in love with their rituals and their forms. And it's where many choose to operate at today is under the shadow. And when you're under the shadow, truths are not clearly discovered. And they're surely not completely and fully enjoyed that's what the message came to do in this day is it revealed the substance of the shadows it put a substance in front of you this is what this was talking about this is what all of this was about maybe you couldn't see it clear here you couldn't see it clear there listen you can put my shadow up on the wall and you can say that's a big guy But as Brother Tim has showed us many times, as the shadow gets closer and closer and closer and closer, it becomes more defined, more defined, and more clear. But no matter how close it gets, it's still a shadow. Until it's revealed what it is making the shadow. And then sometimes you were way off with the shadow. You knew something was coming, but you was way off. But now here it stands. The problem is many times when you were way off, you're unwilling to come around and admit you were way off and you want to stick with your idea. Stick with what the shadow told you. Stick with that. No, 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 but I saw it. I had a revelation. This is what it was. And he's standing there going, it's okay if you didn't see me clearly. Here I am to reveal myself to you. Leave the shadow behind and come to the substance this morning. Leave the shadow of your ideas in the past and come to the reality of the revelation of this word. We don't want to continue to worship under a shadow when substance is available. Like I said, the shadows are a little bit hazy and they're not clearly defined and it leaves room for interpretation. And that's exactly why some people love the shadow. They love the ability to debate. They love the the, the ability to have their own idea and their own thought on the matter. And as long as you're dealing with shadows, who's to say they're wrong? 
their idea, your idea, well this, well that. And they love the debate. And as long as they operate in shadows, then their opinion still has some validity. Their opinion still matters. So you find people that love the prophecy, but hate the fulfillment. They love the books and the tapes and God sent a prophet and the message in the message. And when it starts to take skin on it, they're like, well, how dare you? Because they love the prophecy, but they don't like the fulfillment. They love the shadow, but they don't love the substance. Amen. So you find that people, despite fulfillment, look, it's exactly what happened with the Pharisees. It's exactly where the Pharisees were, that they had the shadows down perfectly. They had the shadows down better than anyone, and they couldn't accept the substance of the shadow. There were volumes written about his coming. Entire chapters and books dedicated to the coming Messiah. And they saw that, and they followed that shadow perfectly. And we sit back and say, how in the world did they miss it? How in the world it was so obvious. You would think that he would have been welcomed. You would think that he would have been received. You would think that they would recognize him. Hey, look, we can't be too hard on him. We have people sitting back still debating the very first doctrine of Jesus that you must be born again. There's entire books and volumes and quotes upon quotes upon quotes of, of, of that you must be born again. There's quotes and, and volumes in the book that tell us how the Holy Spirit will act when it comes. How it's going to do in the lives of people when it comes. And yet we sit back sometimes and give it a reception that would make the reception the Pharisees gave Jesus seem warm. You would think the Holy Spirit come and we would recognize it. You would think the Holy Spirit come and we would welcome it. And we would say, yes, Lord Jesus, pour it out. I see it. I see it. That's the shadow. But now it's here. I read about it. I've talked about it, but now it's here and I want to welcome it. But instead we sit back and go, well, I can't believe the Pharisees didn't recognize Jesus. And then he moves to the place and you go, emotion. Pharisee. And you don't welcome it and you don't recognize it. You love the shadow. You love talking about what it did in the upper room. You love talking about what it did in in, in the ministry of the prophet. But what about when it tries to manifest here? And the substance of it begins to move. And they can't receive a substance. So moving from that, these animals, these sacrifices of animal life could never make the worshipers perfect. Or as it says in Hebrews, if it did make them perfect, then there would come an end to those sacrifices. They wouldn't continue to do it. Hebrews 10 and 1 says, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? So as it relates here to atonement and and paying the sin debt, we've already established that they were not sufficient in value to pay off the debt. But they were also insufficient in another way that they were not the same nature with man who had committed the sin. They were not the same nature of the one who had offended. They were not the same nature of the one who owed the debt. So they're not the same nature. They were not the nature of the one who had offended. Nor were they the same nature of the one who had been offended. They were neither one. They weren't the nature of man. They weren't the nature of God. 
They were just an animal. And also another thing against the sheep, poor sheep. A lot of them gave their life for man, but it was insufficient. And another thing against the sheep was that the sheep could never consent to be killed in the place of the guilty. And the atoning sacrifice must voluntarily substitute himself in the place of the guilty. Think about that for a minute. Jesus didn't have to. Jesus didn't have to. Jesus chose to. Why? Why would he choose that? You. Because he loved you. Because he wanted to fellowship with you. Because he wouldn't give up on you. And Jesus chose to be the sacrifice. And we know that the nature of the lamb being different could not come into the worshiper and change the nature of sin. It could never come back on us. Brother Brown says the man went right back out of the church with the same desire in his heart that he had when he come in. Because the blood cell of the lamb was an animal life and not a human life. So it could not atone for sin. It was only substitutionary. It was only a covering. So when we say all this and we line up all these things that it had to be, it had to be of value. It had to be the nature of man, but it also had to be the nature of God. It also had to be willing. Man was in an awful place. It seemed impossible. Where is one walking around in the body of a man with the nature of God? Where is one willing to lay his life down for people he's never met? For people who will reject him and turn their backs on him. People who will go out and sin even when they knew better. Where is this person? It seems so impossible. No animal could do it because they had the wrong nature. It didn't have enough value and it couldn't willingly volunteer. Man himself couldn't do it because there was a value needed that no man could produce. Why is that? Because all men were under the penalty of death. And so one under the penalty of death could not then die and atone for another under the penalty of death. So once again, we have another thing that the atonement's going to have to check off. It has to be someone not under the penalty of death. Someone who themselves is not a slave. In, In the old days, a slave could not purchase a slave. In order to be a redeemer, you had to be free. It was going to take a perfect blood. Someone free from death to pay the penalty of death. Someone of such value that he was worth all the souls of men. Someone with the nature of the offender and someone with the nature of the offended. Someone willing to die. And this seems completely impossible. And it goes out, is there anyone worthy of that price in a human body willing to lay down their life for you? Is there anyone? Brother Brown says there's only one thing left that did not fall. Everything under man had fallen. If you think about it, even though the lamb was innocent that they sacrificed, it was still fallen creation. There was only one thing that had not fallen. That was God. 
So something of that was God in the heavens. So something of the heavens had to come down to redeem this creation because there was nothing here that could create it. And God's own love for the world created the character expressed in Christ. Wow, that struck me. God's love for the world created the character that was expressed in Christ. He was God's character. He was God's expressed image. In him was God. God in Christ revealing himself to the world. And no love could ever be greater than that love. That such a person would become what he did in order to redeem what had been lost. That such a person would become what he became to redeem what had threw away everything he had created. Oh, I thank God that he loved me. Oh, for God so loved the world. God unwilling that any should perish. He left, he left heaven. He left his robes. He left glory. And he came down in stinking, rotten humanity. To be the perfect sacrifice. To be the perfect blood. Because the law required blood. I know I've said this a lot. And we're going to keep saying this. Because I want you to recognize there was only one that could atone for you. The blood of sheep couldn't pay it. The blood of goats couldn't pay it. The blood of a normal man couldn't pay it. Only the blood of God could redeem man. So God himself became flesh because he couldn't do it as a spirit. Notice for the very same reason that the goats and the sheep, they weren't kin to us. They weren't like us. So he couldn't come and do it as a spirit. He had to take on the nature of man, the offender. He had to take on that nature that the penalty could be paid, but he had to come as one not under the penalty. So he had to be a man, but he couldn't come like a man. He had to be a man, but he couldn't be under the penalty of death. Brother Branham says there had to be another of your kind cut down. The Lord Jesus, the perfect one, and out of his body was beaten with a cat of nine tails. Across his back, beat on the head, spit in the face. Nails drove through and pierced in the side. And the life of him had to run out in order to be the savior of your life. What are you saying? I'm saying it had to be the blood of God, but it had to be a man. It had to have the nature of the offender. And the nature of the offended. Because if you do away here with the virgin birth. And you have him come in the exact same way that you and I came. Then he was mortal in the exact same way that you and I are. And his blood can no longer atone for us. The virgin birth was absolutely necessary for your atonement. It was the only thing that gave him the value needed and removed him from the penalty of death. One mortal cannot die for another mortal because in God's eyes, the most holy one here is just as guilty as the most sinful one here. So your value is no greater. The most holy person in this church could not die and atone for the most sinful person in the world. Because in God's eyes, you're all guilty. We're all guilty. One cannot atone for the other. But if he wasn't man, then he wasn't kinsman. It had to be a perfect blood. We always talk about it being perfect in the fact that he never sinned. And that's true. It was perfect blood. But it had to be perfect in that 
he had the value. It had to be perfect in that he had the right nature. It had to be perfect in that he wasn't under the, the law of sin and death. It had to be perfect in that he was willing. It had to be perfect in so many ways that Satan seemed like he had it all stacked up against you. Surely there isn't one that can come and fulfill all of this. I've got good news. There was one. And he was willing. And he was able. And his life was valuable enough. And it did redeem us. And it did place us back in a position. It did call us out of sin. And it wasn't just that, but there was a life in that blood. It wasn't just a blood that loosed us, and we'll get more into this later. It didn't just loose us, but it empowered us so that we no longer have to go back and live in sin, go back underneath the curse of the law. He came and it was a perfect blood. It was a perfect loosing. He was a perfect sacrifice. He was a perfect redeemer. And therefore, you can be made perfect. This blood had to be of the same nature. He had to become one of us. Or as we often say, and Brother Brown preaches the wonderful message, he had to be a kinsman redeemer. This was according to the law in Leviticus. The, the, the law of redemption in Israel stated that to restore an estate, to restore property, or to restore a person, whatever the case may be, it had to be done by a near kin. That's why a goat couldn't do it, a bull couldn't do it. That was just one of the things against him. It's why he, a spirit, couldn't do it. That's why he had to come as flesh. So God, unable in, in spirit to be kin to us, Became kin by taking on human flesh. But he was God. And Brother Brown says we are saved by the blood of God. That's where my faith is. Not walk out there in the blood of a prophet. Not walk out there in the blood of an ordinary man or a teacher or a theologian. We walk there in the blood of God. God said so. He become human being. He changed his strand. He stretched his tent here with us and became one of us. He is our kinsman redeemer. He had to become kinfolks to us because that was the law. God became man and dwelled among us. Notice in doing this, he coming, he coming from him was God, the spirit. And that spirit becomes upon the believer. Therefore, the life that was in our sacrifice, we are identified by that same life. The nature of the sacrifice finally has come to a place to where it can come back on the believer. There is an opportunity to no longer go out exactly the same way as what you came in. There is an opportunity to not only be loose from the guilt and the chains of sin, but to now be empowered to overcome that sin. So he becomes kinsman. I want to look again specifically here at the requirements of a kinsman. First of all, he must be a kinsman. Hopefully we knew that. To be a kinsman, you must be a kinsman. What's that mean? To be a redeemer, you must be related. Leviticus is clear that the redeemer must be related to the one whom he is going to buy back out of slavery. That's why we see here at Hebrews 2 and 11 says, For both he that he sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. In other words, he became just like you of the same father. It's telling you here, we are all of one same father that makes us kinfolk. 
for which cause he is not ashamed to call you brother. It doesn't get much closer than kin than brother. Verse 14 says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. He became your kin folks. He took part in flesh and blood. Number two, he must be free himself. A slave was unable to purchase another slave. A kinsman redeemer must be himself free of the debt and of the bondage which had fallen on the one who was to be redeemed. I love that. He had to be free of the bondage and slavery that had fallen on the one that he was there to redeem. This is why it couldn't be one of us. This is why it couldn't be one under the penalty of death. And the only way for this to be possible was the virgin birth. Because there was no sin. There was no curse. There was no claim on the flesh of Jesus Christ. The devil had no claim on it. Therefore, it was free. It was free. Number three, he must be able to pay the price. If he did not have the necessary sum of money, which was required to pay the purchase price, then he would not be able to redeem his relatives. He was worth it. He was plenty valuable. Amen. His life was more than valuable. And four, he must be willing to pay the price and make public testimony. It wasn't enough to have a kinsman who was able to accomplish the work of redemption. He must also be willing to do it. You know how it is. You, you, you call up your, your uncle who's got lots of money. You're like, hey, I'm, I need $500,000. He might be more than able to. I don't mean he's going to. He's probably going to say, look, you got yourself in this mess. You need to work your way out of it. Or he may say, hey, I'll tell you what, I can give you a little bit. I can help you out a little bit. This redeemer didn't help us out a little bit. He didn't say, I'll give you a little portion. It was a complete redemption. I'll buy back everything. I'll forgive all your sins. I'll save your loss. I'll heal your sick. I'm willing. I'm able. I'm capable. I'm worth it. I'm free. And I've come down to redeem that which was lost. How much of it, Lord? All of it. What, how many of my sins? All of them. How many of my sicknesses? All of it. I've come to redeem all of it. And the devil couldn't say one thing about it because he had no claim on that flesh. The virgin birth. Hallelujah. For God so loved the world. We have an example of this kinsman in the story of Ruth and Boaz. You know, Ruth is an awesome example to us. Pardon me. awesome example because Ruth had every opportunity to quit. She had every opportunity to go back and just live the life that she had always lived. Every opportunity to go back to her people. Think about it. Israel wasn't even her people. Her sister-in-law left. Her sister-in-law turned and walked away. Her mother-in-law who she was looking to for guidance tried to talk her into leaving. What would we do? I got a pretty absurd question. What would you do if Brother Tim stood up here and tried to talk you out of the message? 
I only use him because I know y'all would hold him in higher regard than me. If I did it, y'all be like, throw tomatoes at that man. (laughs) Hopefully you'd have the same attitude towards anybody. But what if a preacher tried to talk you out of it? A friend, a relative, a website. That's why we teach and we preach that you must have your own experience. You must meet God for yourself. You must know that you know that you know that God is real. It must be a revelation to you beyond any head knowledge, beyond mama said, beyond daddy said. It must be an experience on the inside of your heart. We've always said it, that he who has an experience is not at the mercy of one who merely has an argument. If it's head knowledge, they can come around and place this story with this story in this place and make anybody and anything look the way they want it to look. But when you've met God for yourself, when you know that he's real, when you've had a backside of the desert experience you try to tell Moses that the burning bush wasn't real you try to tell Peter and 119 more that the upper room didn't happen you try to tell Paul that he wasn't struck down on the road to Damascus it doesn't matter what you try to tell me I was there and I say you ought to been there you ought to experience it you ought to know it for yourself meet this God for yourself Well, you can't be talked out of it. I won't go back. I won't turn around. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Your own experience. The devil will try to talk you out of that. As years go on, as time goes by, As the feelings wear off. Listen. We don't base things on our feelings. We know that. But don't tell me that being in the presence of God don't feel good. But when that wears off. When you haven't felt it in a while. What do I do then? That's why I want more today. That's why I'm not relying on what God did for me last month, what he did 10 years ago. I can tell you when I got the Holy Ghost, but I'm not relying on just that experience. I want more today. I want a refill in today. I want to experience him today. I want it fresh and new. When the devil comes and says it didn't happen, I say, yeah, it did five minutes ago. I was there. You can't talk me out of it. Fresh and up to date and bubbling up and flowing over. But if it's something from way back when, your emotions and your feelings can lie to you. That's why we got to have more today. And not just more of an experience of jump shouting, but more revelation in our souls. That's why the prophet would tell you, you can never overemphasize the importance of revelation to a believer. Y'all know me and I say it all the time. I'm all about the run, jump and shout, but there better be an anchor on the inside of your soul. There better be a revelation deep down in there that I know that I know that I know that if I don't run and jump and shout for the next 10 years, I know that I know that I know that I know. What do you want more of today, Aaron? More emotional? I got plenty of it. I want more revelation of who he is and who I am and his plan and what he's done for me and that I'm redeemed. I'm going to make it. I'm going to overcome because he was the perfect blood. Ruth can't be talked out of it. 
And so she stays with it. And Naomi tells her that Boaz is a close kinsman. And I won't bog down too much here because we all know the story of Ruth and Boaz. But Naomi instructs her to go and glean in his field. And in following that instruction, it's one thing I love about Ruth. As you read the book of Ruth, you will find that she always follows instructions every time. Every single time. That's a problem a lot of us have is the following of instructions. Because the death to self-will is the hardest death you'll ever die. Gethsemane was a brutal death for Jesus as he died out to self-will. One of the biggest parts of being a Christian is being willing to be led. We throw that word around very easily, but what if I worded it differently? Being the best, the, one of the biggest parts of being a Christian is being told what to do. Oh, we like the word led. Oh, I was led of the Spirit. I was led. No, you were told what to do. Well, I tell you what, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I'm, uh, you're not going to be a very good Christian. What is Christianity? Being told what to do all the time. Ruth's good at being told what to do. Listen, I'm not throwing this out there at y'all. I need help with that. Because it's easy sometimes to see what you're supposed to do. It's not always easy to do it. We got to pray more from this Lord, show me your will. But Lord, when you show me your will, give me the strength and the ability to follow that will. Because it don't always look like the best plan to us. But Ruth's always following instructions. And so she goes to the field and, and she encounters the kinsman Boaz. And he is the Lord of the harvest. In Ruth 2 and 8, it says, Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. And go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. What's Boaz instructing her to do here? Stay in my field. Stay in the word. Stay with what the word is telling you. Don't go out looking for food outside of this word. Don't go out looking for food in the denominations outside the revealed word of the hour. Don't go out there looking to have your needs met somewhere outside of the word. Listen, the word has been opened. We've been returned into the land. The, the, the book is open and the kinsman says, I've got plenty of food for you right here. Stay right here in this land. Don't go out there looking. Don't get shook up when you can't exactly find what it is. And you go looking here and you go looking there. Think about it now. You wander here and you wander there looking for answers. And the kinsman said, stay in the field. You've got all you need, but you've got to stay here if you want to stay under his protection. Notice he said, I've commanded my young men not to touch you. But there's nothing, there's no jurisdiction in the field next door. He says, touch not mine anointed. That's not talking about preachers. You've been anointed. You've been anointed in this end time to sit on the throne. You've been anointed as the queen of heaven. And he says, touch not mine anointed. 
But what if you wander outside? Hey, listen, I'm not saying that there ain't some psychologists out there that don't have some good things. But are they in the field? I'm not saying that Dobson or different ones didn't have some good things. I'm not saying that. But he said, stay in the field and I'll take care of all your needs. He said, stay in the field. Brother Branham says, people are so tired. They're so mentally strained until they're filling the insane institutions and the hospitals everywhere. They went in such a nervous condition till they don't know what they believe and what they want. They're just laying there. They don't know what to do. It's such a sad sight. Listen here, my brother. You can't drink it off. You can't shout it off. Neither can you play cards till it's dull. You could take a thousand siestas and try to sleep it off and you can't do it. All of our little remedies, the only thing it does is help the symptoms. We've got to have a cure for the disease. All the psychiatrists in the world can't cure it. It only helps the symptoms. The cure is in the blood of Jesus Christ. What's he telling you? Stay in the field. I'm not saying that there isn't some, you you might can find some barley in that field next door. I'm not saying you couldn't. I'm saying if you'll stay here, you got my protection. If you stay here, you got my word that will drop your handfuls on purpose. You're not going to starve here. I'm going to draw water for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to take care of your every need. But stay in my field. Don't wander off. Don't get out there and doubt and worry and fear. Oh, no, I'm going to go look over here. Stay where he planted you. Stay in the word this morning. In my field, I've commanded no one touch you. In my field, I've told them to drop handfuls on purpose. Prophet of God says, I want you angels, you reapers, every once in a while to drop a handful on purpose. Oh, don't let it be so tiresome to her. But every once in a while, let her hear a good message. Let a good power of the Holy Spirit come over her once in a while to let her know that I'm still there. Do some kind of a healing amongst her. Show some kind of a sign or a wonder that she'll know that I'm in her midst. Our kinsman is going to make sure that our needs are supplied if we'll follow directions and we'll stay in his field. And we know that Naomi instructs Ruth to go in while he's resting and mark the place where he lays and go lay at his feet. Now, there's all kind of things we can get into right here, but this is a perfect example of being willing to do things that may even seem unseemly. Listen, she's a Moabite. They don't exactly have the best reputation when it comes to Moabite women and Israelite men. Go back through the scriptures. What's this going to look like to everybody else? Brother Branham takes this and types it out into laying your pride down. What's it going to look like if I snot on the altar? What are people going to think about me if I run and jump and shout? They're going to call me Holy Roller. They're going to call me all kind of unseen. But if the Bible says you must be born again, then whatever comes with that new birth, I'm willing to accept it. And it may not manifest the same in me as it does in you, but I'm going to take whatever he sends, no matter how unseeming other people may think it is, I'm going to follow the instruction of the word and I'm going to do it. And so she goes into him while he's sleeping. And Naomi says, While he is resting, mark the place where he lays and go lay at his feet. 
Church, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Mark the place where he laid. Mark the place where he laid his life down for you. Have you marked Calvary tonight? says mark the place where he laid down his life and go in there to there and lay yourself at his feet lay yourself at the feet of where he shed his blood mark the place where he laid mark the place in Gethsemane mark the place in the tomb where he became your redeemer and go lay your life down at his feet lay your life down there and say Lord cover me up Lord with your blood cover me up Lord with your spirit I don't care what other think I've come to lay myself down and mark the place where you've laid She says, and then he will tell you what to do. There we go again. Ruth three and four. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he lie. And thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down. And he will tell thee what thou shalt do. She says, you just get to the kinsman. Get to the kinsman and then he's going to tell you what to do. Whatever you tell me, Jesus, that's what I'm going to do. Wherever you lead me, Jesus, that's where I'm going to go. Listen, he's the kinsman. He paid the price. He died the death. He gave up his rights. He took the beating. He took the lashing. He took the whipping. He has earned the right to tell you what to do if you want his redemption. We as those in need of being redeeming do not have the right to argue with the redeemer. The only one who has the ability and value and willingness to buy us back. Our attitude has to be one of just tell me what to do. Just lead me, Lord. If he says you must be born again, there's no argument. We must be born again. If he says women should have long hair and men should have short hair. Who am I to debate that? If he says a woman should dress like a lady and not put on a garment that pertains to a man and a man shouldn't put on a garment that pertains to a woman, there's nothing to dissect there. Yes, Lord. I'll do it. If he says separate, you need to separate from your friends. Yes, Lord. You are the redeemer. You paid the price. You died for me. Whatever it is you say that I will do. And it comes back to Ruth being an incredible uh, uh, um, example to us because she never argues with Boaz. He says, stay in the field, and she stays. Prophet of God says, Lord, I'll take you as my Savior. If the Bible says repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that I'll do. If the Bible said I must receive the Holy Ghost, that I'll do. If the Bible tells me Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that I will believe. I'll take the Bible and God for what he's wrote and what he is. No matter what anybody else said, there's the real Ruth, he says. There's the real Ruth. And once you have done all that the kinsman tells you to do, then you can rest. Well, uh, Brother Aaron, how how can I rest? Have you seen what's going on in the world? Have you seen what's going on around us? Have you heard what's going on in Russia? And there's this other guy, he's trying to overthrow Putin. And and there's this going on. And and, and our, our president, he's not real smart. And we got lots of crazy things going on in politics and this. And, and have you? And what's Naomi say to Ruth? Rest. But, but he hasn't settled the issue yet. He hasn't redeemed me. He hasn't went to the gate yet. He hasn't done these things. She says, rest. 
Because I can assure you that he will not rest until the matter is settled. What can I do today, brother? And you can rest because he will not rest until your redemption is complete. He will not rest until you're healed. He won't rest till you're delivered. He won't rest till your children are called back to the cross. He won't rest till we get a body change. He won't rest till there's a rapture. I can rest knowing that he will not rest until his redemption is totally and completely complete. I can rest today. It's not me. It's him. And today I'm just resting in his atonement. I'm resting in his redemption. He is my kinsman redeemer. He meets the requirements. And he's willing. So I can rest. He's a kinsman. And because we have a kinsman now, there is a hope for even the worst of sinners. Because Christ paid a price that was sufficient and suitable to all because it was in our nature. It was in our nature. Brother Brown says, remember, a redeemer redeems you completely. Oh, Brother Aaron, he's done a lot of works, but he hadn't finished. He's not, okay. He's not stopping. Just rest. He's a redeemer. He's going to redeem you completely. He says when he redeems you, it's from your sins, from your sickness, from everything that's wrong. He is a redeemer. I say, what a redeemer. What a blood this was. It was a perfect blood. Lost today, he's a redeemer. Sick today, he's a redeemer. Depressed today, he's a redeemer. Full of fear and anxiety today, he's a redeemer. You got failures and doubts and struggles and and things you fall into over and over and over and over. He is the redeemer. He's a perfect redeemer. Satan had the whole estate and he couldn't redeem it. We know the story that there was another kinsman that that, that wouldn't redeem it. And so that allowed Boaz to and Satan wouldn't, Satan couldn't, but Jesus could and Jesus would. Not only that, but he was willing to make a public testimony. Boaz had to make a public showing at the gate. And Boaz takes off his shoe and lays it aside and says, I have bought her, I have redeemed her, and I have purchased Ruth to be my wife. Think about it. There on Golgotha's hill, he was stripped down. He laid aside more than a shoe. He laid aside his pride. He laid aside his royalty. He laid aside his dignity. He laid aside all his power. He could have signaled the angels to come and get him off the cross in a moment. And he laid it all aside. And he made a public testimony. He said, I've redeemed her. And I've redeemed her with a purpose. What is that purpose? Just like Boaz said, I've redeemed Ruth to be my wife. He made a public testimony there on Calvary as his precious blood spilt. And he said, I've redeemed her to be my bride. I've redeemed her to be my wife. I'm making a public show, a public testimony. I'm throwing aside my robes and I'm testifying. I will redeem her. I will redeem her. I'll lay everything aside and I'll be the perfect blood. I'll pay the price. For the purpose that she's going to be my bride. I love her. He says, I love her. Bulls and goats could only cover the sin. But the prophet of God tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ divorced it. He said it divorced sin. His blood was perfect blood. And therefore it didn't just covered, but it remitted sin. 
Here's the word we see all the time for the remission of sins. For the remission of sins. What does remission mean? Remission means the cancellation of a debt, a charge, or a penalty. Even like Tabernacle, you are debt free today. It has been remitted. It has been canceled. It is done away with. When the devil comes and he says, you owe me this, you owe me that. You owe, Listen, you don't got to break into some theological sermon on the Godhead and explain to him the seven seals. You can point him right back to Calvary and say, my redeemer has come. He has paid the price. The debt is clear. I don't owe you one thing. I say, save the receipt. Pull the receipt out on him. The store says, you owe us this. You know, I got a receipt. I've got a receipt this morning. I owe you nothing. The debt is cleared. It was a perfect blood, a cleansing blood, a redeeming blood. I don't owe him anything. Debt free. Feels good to be debt free. Bulls and goats couldn't do it. Religion couldn't do it. Saying you believe the message couldn't do it. It's just a covering. But this blood was a cleansing blood. When morality escaped you. When he had a claim on you. When sin had you bound. There was an atonement made for you. What was it? I just wanted to be as real to you as it was to me as I studied this. It was the blood of God. The blood of God. Who am I? What am I? Is there any worthiness in me? Is there any righteousness in me? Is there anything I did to deserve? No. I was part of Adam's race that threw it all away. But the blood of God came and said, I'll be kinfolk. I'll be the redeemer. That was an atonement. Oh, come on. There was an atonement made for you. There was a blood shed for you. And it was the blood of God. And when you cross through the Red Sea of the blood of Jesus. When you cross through that Red Sea. Then you look back and behind you. You can see every sin. Every claim. Every failure. Everything you ever committed. You see it dead in the blood of Jesus. I tell you what. It's no wonder Moses got caught up in the spirit. It's no wonder Miriam grabbed a tambourine. You talk about debt free. Not only am I debt free. It can never come back. It can never bother me again. It has no hold. What is it? The blood of Jesus wiped it clean. It took my accuser. It cast it down. It took the taskmaster and it took the whip from his hand and it set me free to worship him. No wonder they got in the spirit. No wonder they rejoice. No wonder they shout. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free today. Oh, a redeeming blood has set you free. It's a perfect blood. For a perfect loosing. Brother Brown says, no wonder Moses got in the spirit. You talk about having some, some kind of new religion. Look at this. Miriam, a prophetess, she looked out there. She picked up a tambourine and she began to beat and dance. And she went down the banks of the sea, dancing and beating this tambourine. And the daughters of Israel followed her. I've always found that very interesting. When people say, well, they just did it because others were doing it. Yeah, that's what the scripture says. They all did it because Miriam did it. Join in. Take that for what it's worth. They followed her dancing and singing and beating this tambourine. And Moses raised up his hands and got so caught away in the Holy Ghost till he sung in the spirit. Hallelujah. That's right. That's right. 
That same Holy Ghost was on Moses is in this building tonight. Hallelujah. Same one that made Miriam dance is here tonight. God is God and he changes not. Yes, sir. Then you say, look at that bunch of fanatics. This struck me. Because I haven't yet seen a service quite like this. I've seen some powerful services. I've seen a lot of people get carried away in the spirit. But I've never seen it to where every single person was. He says, but there wasn't anybody to make fun of them. Because they was all gone. They had it all to themselves. There wasn't anybody making fun. Now, I understand the reference there. They was all gone. He's referencing the Egyptians. But notice there was no one making fun. They had it all to themselves. There wasn't one person in the seat of the scornful. You know, God does a lot of mighty things in spite of us sometimes. He moves a lot of times when most of us are in one mind and one accord. But honestly, within your heart right now, do you think we've ever gathered here to where every single human being in here was in one mind and one accord? I'll answer for you. No. I doubt we've come close. And think of what God has done in our midst. What could he do? It's not that much of a sacrifice to lay aside your feelings towards people. Your feelings of the week behind and the week ahead for a couple hours. You can be mad again when you leave. But for a couple hours, lay all that aside and say, God, move. God, deliver. God, heal. God, help my... Listen, here's the problem. We got to put ourselves in the seat of the guilty sometimes instead of, God, help that brother. God, help me love that brother. Help me lay down my feelings towards that brother. And then we instantly ruin it by going, because you know how he did me. No. Just help me love him. Help me. You know something I've been saying a lot lately? How about you worry about you? And if we can get to that place where we all worry about us, then you won't have nobody else to worry about. The problems will take care of themselves. It'll allow God to move more freely. When you look around and you realize that I don't owe the devil one thing. My debt has been cleared. My debt is wiped clean. That's why it says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Quit wallowing around in the accusations of the enemy. Wallowing around in your so-called unworthiness and listening to the accusations and worst of all, agreeing with them. Yeah, I'm no good. Yeah, I failed again. None of us are any good. All of us fail all the time. The difference is some people look at the sacrifice and some people look at themselves. And if you keep looking at yourself, you're not going to make it. What do I got to do? What what do I got to do? Look through the blood. Put it in the blood. Lay it all in the perfect cleansing blood. And be perfectly loosed. Because listen, it, it, it said there is therefore now no condemnation. It didn't say there is now therefore no accusations. The accusations and the trials and the hardships and the doubts and the things will always be there. They're not going away. 
He said, there is now therefore no condemnation. In other words, the accusation is cast out. There is no guilt proclaimed over you. You never did it in the first place. Amen. Listen, I, I, I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know how dark it is. I don't know how unmentionable the deeds of your past may be. But you're not condemned. There, there's a message going forth this morning telling you that there's a perfect blood. That was for your perfect cleansing. For your perfect loosing. And it's not that you're perfect. It's that your sacrifice is. Amen. Through the power of this perfect blood, you are justified. What's that mean? You never did it in the first place. And now because the nature of this blood, and this is what we've been dealing with with the kinsmen, the nature of this blood, because it's from a kinsman, not only are you loosed, but you are empowered. It's not only a loosing, but there has to be an empowerment that comes with it. Brother Bram says, that's right. Jesus Christ, the son of God, come down to bring life to the human race. Is that right? And in him, after his blood being shed and the Holy Spirit coming in the blood of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit coming in the blood of Jesus Christ, which was that blood cell when it was offered at Calvary. It takes away the very desire of sin. Do you see that when the life is formed, it's a spirit in the blood cell. And when the worshiper offered the blood of the lamb and that cell broke, it was just acting in the place of the real. Then when the worshiper put his hands upon the lamb and its throat was cut and its hands was bathed red as the little lamb kicked, dying and finally straightened out and was gone. The worshiper went right back out with the same desire to commit adultery, lie, steal that he ever had. Why? The blood cell, when it was broke, the life in that blood cell was animal life and it can't come back onto human life. But when the son of God, when that blood cell was broke, the Holy Spirit that was on him comes back onto the worshiper. Oh, hallelujah. That's the crux of the whole thing. That's the whole thing right there. You offer sacrifice upon sacrifice upon sacrifice. And yet sin reigned and death reigned because nothing changed. But with one sacrifice, with one life that a blood cell could break and release the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that was on the inside of him now can come back on the inside of you. And you're not just loosed. You're not just loosed, but you're empowered to never go back to bondage again. That's what it's all about. That's why this sacrifice was special. It was a perfect loosing and an empowering. Amen. Every year it had been the same thing. Sacrifice and no change. Sin and death still ruling. Sin covered temporarily. But when you come through this blood, it's more than a covering. Because there's a life in the blood that will empower you to go out of here a different person. If you failed and you failed and you failed, I'm telling you, there's a blood here today with a life in it that will not only forgive you, but it will fill you and empower you to be an overcomer. Amen. I want to deal with this for a little bit and we won't be too much longer. Don't be happy just being loosed. Don't be happy with just a loosing. Don't stop at just being set free. Because the whole point of him coming in a human to pay the debt is so that his spirit could come and live on the inside of you. What are you saying? Don't be loosed. Be empowered. 
be loosed and empowered. Because I want to ask you a question. What good is the loosing if we continually go back to be chained up again? What good is the loosing if we continue to go back to the same sins that so easily beset us? What good is the loosing if we continually run right back out into debt again? And we actually end up worse than we were before the loosing. But it happens to people all the time because they stop at the loosing. I've seen it time after time after time. It's where you pray with people and the power of God, don't make any mistake about it, the power of God falls on them and looses them. And they're free and there's a shout and a dance as it should be. We should always celebrate every victory. But they think that's it. And that was a loosing. And they don't carry on and push through to get the empowering, to become endued with power from on high like they knew they had to have in the upper room. And so what happens, Matthew 12, 43 says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. It's been clean. Something happened. There's no denying what happened. We mistook what it was that happened. It's cleaned out. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. I believe we've witnessed many powerful loosings. And we see... That they don't always lead to a victorious life afterwards because the person never became empowered. The life of the sacrifice is never allowed to completely overtake the worshiper. And the person actually ends up worse than they were to begin with. Brother Branham says it like this. The same thing exists today. It will happen. It does happen. There is devils. But Jesus cast them out and he gave his church authority to do so. Cast out devils in my name. Do we all agree with this? Stay with me for a few more minutes here. Cast out, he says, devils in my name. He cast seven devils out of the pretty woman one day. And he said, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walks in dry places, returning back then, bringing seven other devils with him. Now that goes to show that if the man was cleansed of devils, there was something was in him had gone out. A loosing. Okay. A devil had gone out. Now when the devil moved out, God gives an opportunity for God to move in. So when he goes out, let the Holy Spirit come in. Don't just leave it there. If you do. Now listen to this. This struck me so strong. If you do just repent of your sins and go on, then you're going to be worse off than ever. If you just repent and get loosed and get free and go on, watch out. You'll be worse off than you ever were before. He says, but get that place where Satan once lived and occupied. Get it filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And then you'll have the strength of God's word in you. Manifested and cast out devils. Contest is on. The evening lights are shining. God's Holy Spirit is present. 
I believe if we sit here for a minute and think about it, we've all witnessed this exact same thing. And for some, it's even been a, a stumbling block because we see something take place. We see a moment where someone has an encounter or a deliverance and we rejoice in it. And as I said, we always will and always should. But then as time passes on, not only does that person go back to their old ways, but they go back even worse than they were before the experience. And the first thing that people want to do is to go back to that moment in the church or go back to that moment at camp or go back to wherever it took place and cast doubt upon the validity of what happened. Or was it even God? I think they just got really emotional. They got really excited. And did you see how all those preachers had their hands on and they got excited and they began to jump around? I mean, of course. And they began to cast doubt on the supernatural and the validity of it. Well, that wasn't really God. No, it was a victory. It was a loosing and a victory that was worth celebrating. But they stopped short of being filled with the Holy Ghost. It's very clear in the scripture. It's very clear in the message. They stopped short of being endued with power. They didn't progress further enough and make sure that the seal was there that would give them power when the devil came back to try to get back inside. Even in like tabernacle, we can never stop short. Don't ever get tired of hearing the ministry preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We must have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We must get it for ourselves. We must get it for our children. We must lead them to it. We must preach it. We must offer it. We must have the atmosphere for it. We must celebrate every victory they have along the way to get to it. Celebrate their victories. Celebrate each and every step they take. But don't stop short of the infilling or the empowerment of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We must always not just preach the forgiveness of sins, but we must preach the life and the power of the blood. Not just a loosing, but an empowering. He did not pay the price so that we could just be church members. He didn't pay the price of redemption so we could go in and out and back and forth and stumble and fall in and out. But he paid the price so that the life of the blood... The life of the sacrifice could come back on the inside of each and every one of us. And where he overcame, we overcome. Where he cast out devils, we cast out devils. Where he rose above sin, we rise above sin. And where he conquered death, we will conquer death and take a rapture. Because we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. And because of that, that life can come on the inside of this life. Don't stop short of that. We must always preach the Holy Ghost. Break the cycles and trample over sin like he did. He said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. There was an empowerment. So you let that life be born in you to where it's no longer you, but it's Christ that liveth in me. Can't stop short. Can't stop short. Can't be happy with the loosing. I'm happy to be loosed, but I got to press on into an empowerment. You see that all down through the ages. We spoke about it in individuals, but look at it in a broader sense. Look at it in the church world. The churches that believed on Christ, but stopped short of the new birth. What happened? We talked about it in an individual, but think about the church world. The church went from the upper room to the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. 
Early on, they pressed forward to the new birth. But when they stopped, then it became about ritual and form and just accept the word. And they stopped pushing for the new birth. The next thing you know, look at them there. Look at them now and tell me they're not exponentially worse than they were. And we find every church that stops short of the new birth is in a worse condition now than when they came out of the Catholic church. When they came out, they were the move of God. When they came out, they were on fire. When they came out, they had the word for the hour. But look where they're at now. Exponentially worse. Brother Brown says, you can be sanctified and not have the Holy Ghost. Right. Sanctified spirit without being filled. Sanctifying your heart. Cleansing your heart without filling it with something. That's what he said. When the unclean spirit is gone out of the man, he walks in dry places. Come back, finds his house all garnished and comes in. The last estate of that person is many times, seven times worse than it was at the first. That's what happened to the pilgrim holiness. To the Nazarenes and so forth. You accepted And when the Holy Ghost come and begin to speak in tongues and give signs and wonders, you called it the devil and blasphemed the works of God, called it an unclean thing. And you see where your church went. They were loosed from the Catholic system. But they never let the Holy Spirit empower them. What are we preaching today? A perfect blood loosed and empowered because this blood provides for you a loosing. And it also provides for you a power to never be bound again. Even like tabernacle, I say, take advantage of it. Take advantage of the empowering. Quit living below your privileges. Quit walking around just as church members. Quit walking around beat down and caged down. You've been loose. Now be empowered. And if you've been empowered, be empowered again. If you've had an experience, have another experience. If you've got God on the inside, get more of God on the inside. Don't just be loose this morning, but be loose and push forward until you're completely empowered. It's the life of the blood that we're after. It's the life of the blood that we need. It's the life of the bloodstream that can put us back in fellowship with where we were before the fall. Think about the attitude of, well, we're all going to sin a little and we all have things that we can't overcome. That's saying that the blood of Jesus is no more efficient than the blood of bulls and goats. You're putting it on the same level. If we're going to continue in sin, then why did Jesus die? Why don't we just go kill a goat? That's a denominational viewpoint. It's an attitude that that, that declares that the power of the blood isn't enough. But I'm here today to declare to you that it was a perfect blood. It was a perfect blood. The prophet of God tells us, and this, this quote is where the thought for this service came from. So I want you to hang on this with me. When I read this, it was just so powerful to me. It says, consider this. Since it is the blood of God, it is perfect blood. And if the perfect blood is loosing us from the power and bondage and defilement of sin, then the loosing is perfect and complete. There is now therefore no condemnation. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. There it is. His death gave us the blood. The blood has loosed us. There is now no condemnation. How can there be? There is nothing to be condemned for because the blood has loosed us from sin. We are free, guiltless. Don't listen to man. Listen to the word. You are loosed by the blood. 
Now don't get tied down again by traditions and creeds and organizations. Don't get led astray by listening to those that deny the power of the word and deny that Jesus saves, heals, fills with the Holy Ghost and power. You are God's free men, loosed by his own blood. Listen, if the blood is perfect, then the works of that blood is perfect. Therefore, your salvation is perfect. Your Holy Ghost is perfect. Your deliverance is perfect. Your healing is perfect. It is complete because it's a perfect loosing. And because it's a kinsman, it can come back on the inside. And he has redeemed you perfectly. Listen, he didn't stop short in his redemption. He didn't stop short. He thought of everything. He covered every angle. He covered every aspect of repayment going so far as to go to hell for you. That bull could die, but it couldn't redeem you. That goat could die, but it couldn't go to hell for you. But this one, having a soul like you, having a human nature, meeting all the requirements of the kinsman went into the belly of hell and conquered. He battled every demon here and there. Think about it. He faced depression in hell and conquered it. He faced fear in hell and conquered it. He faced suicide spirits and conquered them. He was attacked by lust and came out of hell pure. Think about that. He went down into hell and every grimy, every evil, every slimy, every hateful spirit began to come up and rub up against him. Why was he there paying the price for you? Why was he there in the pits of hell so you wouldn't have to go? But I got good news this morning. He didn't stay there. Because there was a word that said, I will not leave his soul in hell or allow my holy one to see corruption. He had to resurrect on the third day. And why did he do that? Because he had to ascend. And why did he do that? Because he had to send back the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the life of the perfect blood. So you could be perfectly loose. So you could be perfectly empowered. Oh, he didn't just come and die, but he sent back his life. Why? So that I could overcome like he did. So that I could be victorious like he was victorious. It's a perfect loosing tonight. It's a perfect loosing. So you can walk in victory. Brother Aaron, will I not war anymore? Yeah, you'll war. You'll battle. You'll face tests and trials and tribulations. But because of a perfect blood, your overcoming will be perfect. Because greater is he that is in you. A kinsman than he that's in the world. It's only possible because he became kinfolk. It's only possible because he became sin. We can only even speak about these things because he loved us so much. And his love was so far greater that he said, it's going to take a perfect blood. I'll go. I'll go. I'll be the kinsman. I'll be made sin. I'll die the death. I'll go to hell. I'll pay the debt. Evening Light Tabernacle, you're debt free. You're debt free. You don't got to pay one thing. 
just dip your soul in the perfect blood of Jesus, the perfect redeemer, the perfect atonement. I got things bothering me. Run it through the Red Sea of the blood of Jesus Christ this morning and watch those things break off your life. Will you stand together with me this morning? Brother Branham says, I tell the truth in Christ. I lie not. There's no man can take the doctrine that I preach and disprove it. There's no one can do it. I've never seen anyone could do it because it's the gospel truth. The discernment of the spirit is perfect. No man can ever say that it's not ever been perfect. That's a pretty good way to start a statement. I'm going to have faith in what it is he says right here. And I tell you now, there's a perfect place. There's a perfect heaven. There's a perfect God, a perfect savior, a perfect blood, a perfect atonement, a perfect being for you. I accept it, Jesus. I'm not going to wallow in my failures. I'm not going to wallow in my unbelief. But Lord, today I accept it. And by accepting that, he says, you are the pure, virtuous, sinless bride of the son of the living God. Every man and woman that's born of the spirit of God and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and believes every word of God stands as though you never sinned at the first place. You are perfect. The blood of Jesus Christ. I say hallelujah. You are perfect through the blood of Jesus Christ. What a redeemer. What a blood. What a loosing. What an empowerment. When it seemed impossible, he said, I'll do it. I'm worthy. I'm free. And he came to loose us. Celebrate your freedom. Celebrate your freedom. Here we are on the weekend of the 4th of July. I'm thankful for the freedom we have in this country. Whatever we have left of it, I'm thankful for. But let me tell you this. Our freedom in Christ has not diminished, but it has grown greater and greater and greater. And I say this weekend, celebrate that freedom. Be free in your redemption. Be free in the blood of Jesus Christ. Be free from your sins. Be free from condemnation. Be free from sin that so easily besets you. Be free. God bless you, sir. I'm free, praise the Lord, I'm free, no longer bound, there's no more pain, my soul is resting, oh it's a blessing, oh praise the Lord, oh hallelujah, I'm
that cost a life that paid my way death its price and when it flowed down from the cross oh, thank you for that freedom
Deus.